second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Joel, chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1417. Uh, we will also have the words on the screen for you. Joel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. In those days, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them, concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations, and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people, and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they, made, that they might drink. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all of you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? Are you paying me back? I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, that you might send them far from their, from their homeland. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell, sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion, and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it find refuge in the Lord their God. It has been close to a year now since we have been really dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And throughout this past year, God has given us a lot to reflect upon. We have been confronted with issues that we have never faced before. Issues about safety, issues about freedom, issues about what it really means to live life. And then there are those questions that challenge our own theology, how we, how we think about God. Questions like, why does God allow bad things to happen? Is he even in control? And if he is, then, then did he cause this pandemic? 
Could God be evil? Or perhaps he just doesn't care. Is there some greater good that we, that, that we just aren't seeing? Will God rescue us? But the question that our, that our text for today forces us to look, look at is this question of finality. What are these days of the Lord, these, these days of locusts and these days of COVID? What are these devastating things that, that happen in our lives? What do they ultimately point us towards? We are now in our sixth week in this book of Joel. And if, if you recall, Joel began his work by giving out these warnings of a locust army that was going to invade the land of Israel. And we learned that this, this was a day of the Lord, a day of God's judgment upon his own people. And the reason for such a day was because his people had been unfaithful to him, to the, to the covenant agreement that they had made with their Lord. They had broken the commandments of God, and now God was disciplining his own children in order that they might change their ways and return to him with all their heart. And this is exactly what he called them to do. He, he ordered them to, to gather together, to make a sacred assembly where they would fast, where they would mourn over their sins. But then we also saw God's response to their repentance. How he was jealous for, for his land and took pity on his people. He, he loved them so much that he brought to them a season of restoration. He, God had removed the locusts and had filled their fields with grain and, and their vineyards with grapes. The plates on their tables and the cups that sat there were full once again. And in return, the people praised the name of the Lord their God because of the kindness that he had shown them. But God wasn't finished. He, he, had a, he, he then spoke of another day, a, a future day, when, when a new generation of his people would see his glory manifest in an amazing way. A day when he would pour out his spirit upon all his people, that they might become witnesses to the nations, so that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And all this leads us to our passage for today, where God has another message, another message for his people. For there is another reason that God had brought about this day of the Lord, another lesson that this locust plague would teach them. For the judgment that his, that his people had endured was just a harbinger of that final day of the Lord, a day of God's greater judgment. A day when not only would, would God's people be judged, but all nations would be judged as well. And this judgment would be final. There would be no more time for repentance, no more pleas for mercy, for there will be two fates for two groups of people. There is one judgment for those who are the enemies of God. And then there is another judgment for those whom God considers to be his people. God will decide between the two. 
and what He declares will be just. Now, what we find as we read through this text is that there is an order to God's justice. This isn't just something that He makes up, but He has a specific order that demonstrates His justice. And we see this in, in this neat little chiastic structure. For instance, in, in verses 1 and 2a, and then in verses 9 through 12, we, we see God gathering the nations. He is bringing them together. And then in verses 2b and in verses 7 and 8, we, we see God sitting as the judge over these nations. And then in verses 2c and 3, and in verses 5 and 6, we see the crimes that these nations have committed against God's people. And finally, in verse 4, we discover that these crimes were not only against God's people, but they were actually directed towards God himself. So, God gathers the nations, he sits as, as judge over them, and then he weighs the evidence. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Look, look at verse 1. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Twice in Joel we have seen God commanding his own people to, to gather together as a community. The, the, the first time was to mourn over the devastation that this locust army would bring. And the second was, was when they were to fast and to weep, mourn over their sins as they begged God for mercy. And if you remember, God wanted all of his people to be there, both, both the young and the old, both the men and the women. Each person was to join in this sacred assembly. And now here in our passage for today, we see a similar thing. God is commanding all nations to gather into this valley of Jehoshaphat. None are to be left out. In fact, there, there, there won't be any that, that God will allow to escape this day of the Lord. He will summon them and they will come. There are many today who think that what happens in, the, in this life is all there is. That there won't be any reckoning for their actions. That God doesn't see what is done in secret. And so they continue on in their life of sin, thinking that the day of the Lord will never come. That they will never have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Those who think this way have only been fooling themselves. For there will come a time when God will call forth the nations and every soul will be gathered. And it doesn't matter if you are great or small. Each person must make an account for their own life. And the place where he will gather them is in this valley of Jehoshaphat. A place where there will be no escape. No place to hide. No place to run. But everywhere will be in the sight of God. Now, Jehoshaphat was a Judean king. 
and his name meant Yahweh has judged. A very fitting name for this valley. And, and as we saw earlier in our first scripture reading, he was king when the Moabites and the Ammonites and the, peop the people from Mount Seir, when they had joined forces to invade Judah. But as these armies approached, it was Jehoshaphat who sought the help of the Lord. L listen to the prayer of this Judean king. Look, look once again at 2 Chronicles 20, verse 10. But now here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came, to, came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army, this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Here we see this king, the, the king of God's people, asking for justice. For what these nations were doing was criminal. For after they had been shown the mercy from God himself, they were now repaying God's kindness by attacking his people. They were returning good for evil. And the people of God, they had no power to stop them. Their only hope was to have God execute his judgment. And as we'll see, God did sit in judgment. In fact, listen to God's reply to Jehoshaphat. Look at verse 15. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the, at the end of, a, of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Sure enough, that next day, the, the armies of Judah came to the edge of that valley. And what they found as they looked down upon it was the judgment of God. For the men of Moab and the men of Ammon and the men from Mount Seir, they had already been defeated. For these three armies had turned upon themselves and slaughtered one another. In fact, the, the, the slaughter was so great that, the, that the, the plunder was huge. And it took Jehoshaphat's army three days to collect all the spoils of war. God had judged the enemies of his people and found them guilty. And Judah didn't have to lift a finger. 
Now, the, the reason I am incorporating this story is because the prophet Joel was trying to make a point by saying that the nations would gather in the valley of Jehoshaphat. For it will be in this valley, the valley of Yahweh's judgment, that the nations who oppose God's people will find themselves in a battle against God himself. Look once again at Joel chapter 3, this time at verse 2b. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. Now that God has brought them together into this valley of his judgment, he will bring his judgment upon them. And the reason he will do this is because, because nations of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, they have committed crimes against his people. Look, look at the next, next couple verses. Look at verse 2c and 3. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. These nations will be judged on two accounts. First, they had taken away the land that was promised to the people of God. And second, they, they had participated in the selling of human lives. They were human traffickers. Now, think about this. They have attacked both the land and the people. The, the two things that bear God's name. Do you remember back in chapter 2 what Joel said after the people had returned to the Lord? Look what, he, look what he said in verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. These nations have attacked what God loves most. And they have done so for their own greed, their own pleasure. They traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine. What we see going on here is the devaluing of human life, particularly when it comes to children. They, they chose not to see the image of God that was upon these youths, and, and they ended up selling them into slavery, where they would be sent away and cut off from their homeland, the land of Yahweh's blessing. I believe that God holds a special place in his heart for those who are weak, and defenseless. After all, it was Jesus who said these words, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I wonder how our nation would fare when it comes to the treatment of children. How often have we devalued them for our own benefit? Consider all the sons and daughters that are out there who will never know their fathers because their mothers had been abandoned. Or think about all the kids forced to live in, in split homes because mom and dad just, just couldn't make it work. Or how many preborn babies are just discarded every year at the abortion mills because, because the timing just wasn't right. We may look back in judgment at these nations who enslave people, but are we any different? Are we 
any better? How will we be judged by the generation a hundred years from now uh, when they see the, the millions that we have killed and the millions more that we have just left behind for the sake of our own convenience? We too have devalued human life, particularly when it comes to children. What will be the fate of America in the Valley of Jehoshaphat? But it's not just that these nations devalued human life, but in so doing, they also turned their backs on their Creator. Look at verse 4. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. Here God specifically mentions Tyre and Sidon and Philistia. Now both Tyre and Sidon were the nations to the north of Israel, while Philistia was their neighbor to the south. And what they represent is this geographical bracket that surrounds the promised land. In them, in their crimes, we, we, we see the crimes of all nations who are the enemies of God's people. And, and look at the questions that, that, that God is asking of them. What have you against me? Are you repaying me for something I have done? These rhetorical questions demonstrate that, that the crimes that they had committed were not only crimes against the people of God, but they were crimes against God himself. The Lord is identifying with his people in a way that is, that is most intimate. For he identifies in their suffering. A crime against them is a crime against him. And this is what most people fail to realize. That, that the sins that they commit, their, their crimes against, against other people are actually an affront to God himself. They are an attack on his character. For even the tiniest insult, even the smallest little lie, communicates that, that this person whom God created and whom he has placed his image upon isn't valuable. And thus, God isn't valuable either. In this valley of Jehoshaphat, this valley of God's judgment, every little detail will be remembered. Nothing will be forgotten. And God will stand in judgment for every wrong committed against him with a pure justice. Look at, look at verses 7 and 8. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Those who have sold slave will, will feel the sharp sting of slavery. Those who have, who have taken children away from their homes will have their children taken away from them. And this will be carried out by the very ones whom, whom they have abused. 
This, this is the pure justice of God. The punishment fits the crime. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, isn't this antithetical to what Jesus taught us? Aren't God's people supposed to be forgiving? Isn't eye for an eye justice just making the situation worse? Well, when we're thinking this way, we're, we're, we're missing the point of what God is trying to communicate in this passage. He, he is demonstrating that His justice is pure. It's, it's untainted. That, that whatever punishment He doles out, it will not be too little and it will not be too much. For His judgments are exact. They are precise. Any wrong that, that you have committed will be met with a punishment fitting of that crime. And this is why he has gathered the nations into the valley, so that his perfect justice would be carried out. And so he, he declares to these nations, prepare yourself. Get ready for the day of the Lord. Look at verses 9 and 10. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Prepare for war. Just as the Moabites and the, and the Ammonites and the men from Mount Seir went to the valley of Jehoshaphat in order to engage in battle, God now commands these nations to do the same. For them, there will be no peace. And to make his point crystal clear, God, he, he takes that famous passage from Isaiah, a passage that speaks of peace to the nations, and he inverses the order. Look at, look at Isaiah 2, verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And what we read in Isaiah is the opposite of what we read in, in Joel. For Isaiah speaks of a, of a future peace for all those who are God's people. But in the book of Joel, he reverses the order for those who are his enemies. Instead of turning swords into plowshares, they, they are turning their plowshares into swords. Instead of turning spears into pruning hooks, their pruning hooks become spears. You see, for, for these nations who have committed crimes against both God and His people, they will need to prepare themselves for the war that they have started. They will need to take up arms for the battle that is brewing. And yet, no matter how much these nations prepare for that fight, it will never be enough. For the foe that they are going up against is Yahweh Himself. In fact, what do we see God doing as these armies are advancing upon him? Look at verse 12. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. 
God is just sitting there calmly in his judgment seat, ready to command his army of angels. I mean, can you picture this? This, these, these weak and unimposing nations with their makeshift swords and their, and their feeble spears trying to make war against God Almighty. It's laughable to think about. If he wanted to, the Lord could, could take, take them out with his very breath. But instead, his, this victory will be granted to his angelic host. Look, look at verse 13. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. Just as the harvest was ripe for his locust army, so too the harvest will be ripe for, for his army of angels who will decimate these wicked, wicked nations. Even though they prepared for the battle, they are no match for what God has in store for them. They are like the grain in the fields awaiting to be cut down by that sharp sickle. They are like the grains that fill the wine press ready to be stomped upon. For these wicked nations, they have been judged. The day of the Lord has fallen upon them. They will be the ones who mourn. They will be the ones who tremble. For they have opposed God for far too long, and his judgment will be swift and complete. Dear friends, there will come a day when, when things like a pandemic will seem like nothing when a, a locust infestation will be child's play. For the judgment that is to come, this, this day of the Lord will be a day when the sun will be truly darkened and the, and the moon will go to blood red. The stars will no longer shine and the earth and the sky will tremble. For the Lord himself will roar from Zion. He will thunder from Jerusalem. Let this time of COVID speak to you. Let it be a harbinger of a greater day of the Lord. For the day is coming when, when all will be drawn into this valley of decision to be judged. And if you, if you are found to be God's enemy, then prepare yourself for war, for the war that you have begun. And yet... There is another judgment. A judgment for those who are not God's enemy. A judgment for those who are his people. And they need not fear on that day. For the judgment that has fallen upon them will be quite different. Look at the end of our passage. Look at the last part of verse 16. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people a stronghold for the people of Israel. While there will be no relief for these wicked nations, God will be a stronghold for those who call upon his name. 
Listen, if you are a Christian, if you have repented from your sins and have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes through the cross, then God is no longer your enemy. Instead, he will be your shelter, a shelter in your time of need. Just as we sung earlier, he is that mighty fortress, a a bulwark never failing. And the reason he is such a rock is because this same judgment that will fall upon these nations and that should fall upon you has been placed on Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for your sins when he died on that cross. But if you are not there yet, if you are still battling against God, then let this time of COVID be a warning to you. Let it be a harbinger of the things to come. For for the day is coming and is drawing ever near when God will sit in judgment upon you. And if you don't have Jesus on your side, then all that you will be left with is either a plowshare or a pruning hook which will really do nothing for you. Don't let this season of COVID, this this day of the Lord, be wasted. Instead, let it direct your focus to Jesus Christ, for he truly is your one true hope. He truly is the only way that you can find refuge. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today in awe of your majesty and your, and your justice. You have judged us, and we are found to be not worthy except through your Son, the one who died for our sins, the one who brings us new life through his resurrection. Help us to embrace this truth so that on that day, the day of your judgment, that we might find refuge in him. Pour out your your Holy Spirit that we might have repentant faith before it is too late. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.